And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On this episode, we are talking non-spoilers about the new episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. It's inspired our topic for today, which, what is that topic, Larry? Well, our topic today, our topic today, Dr. Ali, uh, you should get uh, Ali the mic tech in there. I know. <laughs> no, our topic today is inspired by Lord X Episode 2, but we will spread it to the whole Trek universe. Mm -hmm. Finding your places. We said finding your place, and then you noted that we people have more than one place. So yeah. I keep including a, 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 a plural S in parentheses at the end of that. Finding yeah. your place. Finding your place, finding your calling. Where are you supposed to be in this big, wide multiverse that we all live in so one question to get things started is um what's your favorite story about a character finding its place in um in star trek finding their place in star trek there's so many to choose from there's so as, many as this always happens with larry and i as we're putting together our plans for this episode we're like well are there any stories really about that and then like five minutes later we're like how are we going to squeeze all these into the show? There are so many stories about this topic. So we want to know what your favorite one is. Yes, um, absolutely. This one started off with a couple and then then like three minutes and then bang, 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 bang. Well, and I know everybody out there in the chat is going to say, well, you've got this, this, this. It starts with this Lord X episode has two, you know, basically. But that got us rolling. And then, yes, we've got plenty. Uh, Larry, let's jump into the uh, briefing room. So this is where we start to uh, dive into today's theme. And um, I, I would just love to get your non-spoiler thoughts on um, Star Trek Lower Decks Episode 2. This is Envoys. Um, a non-spoiler description, I think it's safe to say that we have um, part of the crew is on an away mission. And part of the crew, uh, one person in, in particular is struggling with their place on a starship. Um, this is a person who starts to kind of question, well, maybe I should look at a different uh, division here. Uh, and this is just... Uh, yeah, this is such a, such a fun story where we saw someone go from operations uh, and, and yellow, the yellow gold of operations, to uh, red command... Um, to security yellow, not to be confused with operations yellow, and also, uh, medical blue. Um, so Larry, what were your non-spoiler takes on the, on this episode? 
No, I, I enjoyed it. And I want to say up front, as always, that we realize that uh, we love having everybody around the globe, but hang in with us. I realize that they've still not, because of COVID catapulting um, life, uh, life support, I wish, catapulting Laura Dex to the front of the pack ahead of Discovery, the deal, the international distribution deals were not in place yet. And they're coming along. And some folks around the world have found ways to see it, but we're not acknowledging that here or on, on Facebook <laughs> on our group page. But we know that a lot of you have seen it, but a lot of you haven't. So we're yeah. going to kind of dance through it as, as an inspiration to kind of have, have it both ways, as it were. But I, I love this episode, I, I thought, and I've seen a lot of reaction, that a lot of people enjoyed this better than the pilot because it didn't feel like it had to be so piloty, both in introductions and also in making some crazy, you know, wham-bam visual moment tone statements that grab new viewers, maybe, and this can be more settled in. They've got a long way to go. But uh, this one this one really uses the Star Trek background, and this has become the episode already where everyone is frame-grabbing to grab. And they've done a great job of aliens in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the canonists this week, the last couple of days, have been frame-grabbing and going crazy and even going, oh, I know those are because they're on an away mission. And uh, it's a planet that has a lot of different settlements from different cultures. So you're seeing a lot of people there. And people are freaking out with joy about some of the bizarre, you know, like they're canon aliens, but they were seen once. <laughs> and maybe not even named on screen. Anyway, that's a sidebar. That's fun. I enjoyed it. And it's, you still have to get used to, as we will talk about here, and these, these people, and it's all about to the journey. But um, everything is still heightened. Everything is still comedicized, if I can say that word. But it's you can say whatever word you like, to, Larry. Heart. Still a greater truth. Huh? I said you can say whatever word you like, whether it's real or not. <laughs> is that a point the drinking game? Larry made up a word? I don't know. I don't know. We can add it to the list, though. Oh, I um I I agree with you, Larry. I I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it um uh, more than the first one, just because you can settle in a little bit more, and the expectations aren't um so out there. Um, this episode gave me a, a very strong Futurama feel, which I like. Um, I think Futurama is is the better kind of vibe. For lower decks than um, Rick and Morty, and the first episode felt like it leaned a little bit more Rick and Morty. This one felt like it leaned more Futurama, um, and I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I felt like there was aspects. The the two storylines here felt so much um, on the foundation of Star Trek stories. We had the away mission story was full of Star Trek stuff. The the B storyline about um, where's this character's place on the starship, that was all about the different branches of Starfleet. And it, it was, um, and at the heart of it all was a, it was a uh, very um, uh, humanistic story about uh, connection. And so I really enjoyed it. And as I started to watch this episode, I thought this was uh, a really great topic for us to explore. What is your place? What is your calling? And it's something I think a lot of us might be experiencing right now. And this is why we chose it for this week's episode. Um, I did a, a workshop a few weeks ago um, for the Producers Guild. And one of the things that came up in that discussion is a lot of folks with 
productions being shut down and the uncertainty of when those productions are going to be back up, they're reevaluating. Do I want to be in this field? Do I want to be in this career? Um, some by necessity because they just aren't able to find a job right now. And so that's happening for some people. Other people are, um, they're finding themselves being in roles that they didn't quite expect to be in. I mean, Larry, you and I never imagined that we'd be hosting a live Star Trek show that's about um, all of this stuff that we talk about on Light Support um, a, a few months ago. This was never really right. in the cards for us. I never thought ever about doing something live. I know you had been doing live stuff uh, for a while, but it was not something on my plate. So um, some people by necessity are, are being forced to change. Some people are considering change. And we're all kind of left wondering, well, where's my place? How do I figure this out? What am I supposed to be? Yeah. Or what am I, and things are in such chaos and such flux. Where will I be in six months or a year yeah. or whatever? I, I do want to say, and again, we're, we're dancing around not being too spoiler for the episode. If there's anything you say, this is what I got into talking, reminding us all that it's animation as if we need a reminder, but we're getting to the, you know, some of the, the, the fanisher moments, the fanisher. Boy, I'm just on a tear today, aren't I? That's uh, that would be your second word of would, yeah. uh, the second Larry Nemechek trademark word. <laughs> the more the more fanly aspects of this. Um, no, the the situations that inspired our theme today about finding your place. Mm -hmm. You could say that both of them, in the animation style of 22 minutes, are either a little contrived or a little accelerated. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. And not so much there about it being animation, but about it being a little sitcom, -y, about sure. a little situation comedy, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yes, we acknowledge that. In fact, Mike McMahon has been talking lately about, and people have been picking up about how this is, it feels more like a family comedy or a workplace comedy than it does an animation show or sci-fi animation, but which is all to the good. So I'm going to say yes, as we're going to look at these in a human microscope, under a human microscope, the one in particular where he's sampling up, the whole reason he's doing it is a little flimsy. And if we're talking about relationships, which we're not yet, no. you almost wonder where his heart lies, like what's behind this. But it's it's kind of wrapped at the end, so we're not going to worry too much about that. It's taken care of. And the other situation where someone questions their entire, you know, what they've been training for suddenly does come on a little rushed. But again, to me, it's just heightened in the comedy. Yeah. At yeah. the moment, yeah. and they still, and both both paths, both arcs, still provide us with fodder for what we're what we're talking about today, and also as a mirror to hold up to look at some of the other arcs we can talk about of people across the rest of Trek that did have several episodes and several years to develop. I, I have to acknowledge that um, Scott is uh, wants you to know, Larry, that uh, don't worry, Shakespeare made up lots of words too. And uh, Linda is coining well, these Dr. Trekisms, which I love. Okay. I TM. love that. <laughs> yeah, TM. <laughs> you guys are great. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to catch up as we speak. So, um, so, so let's so kind of jump in. Um, that's the dossier for uh, Envoys, I would think. 
folks have mentioned a lot of characters here. Some that we were planning to talk about. Some that we haven't um, we haven't really um, thought of yet. Larry, I just want to um, acknowledge some of these because they're they're really great. Um, Jared has mentioned Nog, um, which uh, is definitely on our list. We want to we want to talk about Nog. Uh, Zahir is mentioning Data. And uh, Data's journey throughout now, you know, uh, even with Star Trek Picard, uh, we see we see a lot of uh, Heidi says Data's long road. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a long road that stretches all the way to one of our most newest series now. Um, Getting from there to here was was a long way. And, and I, you know what? When we talked about this theme inspired by the Lower Decks episode, inspired by Envoys, I think we were, or Ms. I was, we were talking, I think we were texting this yeah. week more than we were talking. Yeah. But um, I think I was thinking more in a career mold. Yeah, me too. As far as, yeah, as far as how career, but, but all of these are, are, um, are valid, but our place in the universe can be more than our work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which we're going to get into. Yeah. yeah. Um, Libby also mentions, uh, Rom here. Um, Libby and Zahir, we had a moment, uh, when, uh, oh, not Libby and Zahir, but Libby and, um, Jared. Um, we had a moment when Larry and I were, um, were discussing this. And when we came to Rom, we were like, yes, we need to talk about Rom. Um, Rom is a great character that really, um, really shows this. So we're going to dive. We're going to dive into that. Uh, Zahir also mentioned Seven of Nine. Uh, I think that's a really great uh, character to explore this. And then Linda mentions Wesley, which is absolutely... Um, yeah, his whole place in the space-time continuum, I think, um, is something for us to explore. So a lot of good characters. Um, oh, and uh, Zahir just mentioned uh, Worf, who is also on our list over here. So um, I think we we could go as far back as Sulu. I think Sulu is a great place for um, for us to start, where we don't see as much of his trying to understand what his place is, Larry, but we do see an evolution from um, him being largely the flight officer to uh, his transition to command. And his um, taking over the of, of the Excelsior, um, I think that's just such a lovely arc, especially from that first moment when he sees the Excelsior in Star Trek Three. Um, and uh, what does he say? He's like, um, I think she's a beauty, isn't that what it is? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then his arc to Star Trek Six and taking command, um, and we we see elements of that in uh, the Kelvin timeline too, when um, Sulu's first given command in Star Trek Into Darkness. He's a character where you see it a little bit, but we don't necessarily see some of the struggle that we're talking about. If we want to talk about that, I, well, I think... Well, I was going to say, the original series, by nature, was meant to be pretty... Sta- I mean, talk about the standalone episodes, even yep. through the movies. Yep. And again, we're kind of talking about this through the veneer of career, finding your place as a career, as a job, as a calling, versus just your place. We all have to find our place in the universe as well. You know, what am I going to do? But also, am I going to have a family? Am I going to be mated? Am I going to have kids? Am I not? Where am I going to live? You know, what other functions in family and relationships outside of a work career? I mean, that's all we got. We were kind of looking at at work, but um, the original series was of a time when, you know, static was good. 
Yes. Rapid development wasn't. But if you do that, you have to you have to include Spock then if you're going to talk about your place. You go from yeah. young and, and you know what? And Strange New Worlds may give us a lot more of that because we've already had the hints from short treks about young, unsure Spock to, uh, you know, to shouty Spock to, uh, I'm more Vulcan than thou Spock. A little bit like Worf. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And I think it depends on the, the angle. Human half after Vigor. And then life and death. And then. Yeah, and then rebirth. Of course. Of course. Well, being, uh, being, dying and then coming back to life, that would well, definitely geez. falls into finding your calling and finding your place. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, we can we can definitely talk about Spock. I think the angle we were kind of looking at here was more um, the things that give your life meaning, which I think even in that definition, Spock, man, well, so, uh, but Spock is the ultimate Star Trek trump card. You can play Spock in any topic we have had every single week of this show. Uh, we one of these weeks are Spock. Uh, one of these weeks are Spock. Um, one of these shows, our topic should just be Spock. Just Spock. Cause we could, we could do that. There's a lot of good. I just have a new line, I guess we, I can use now. It's, are you playing the Spock card? <laughs> good for any Star Trek debate. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So let's, um, let's dive into the next generation era. Cause we have, we have a lot of characters we want to talk about. Um, the first one, Larry, that seems to be really that really fits this is uh, Wesley. Um, so let's let's dive in and talk about Wesley. Uh, we see this really wonderful arc here with this character, who, when we first meet him, is very um, very excited about careers in in um, in Starfleet. In geek Starfleet, yeah. yeah. We see him in List. We see him struggle at the Starfleet, uh, Starfleet Academy with the truth, with everything that happens um, related to... Is it Red Squad? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and I, I, Nova, no, no, it's Nova, Nova Squadron. Squadron. Red Squad Nova is Squadron. Deep Space Nine. Red Squad, yes. yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. We're Red Squad and we can do anything. Red Squad. Red Squad. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> raise the red squad, raise the red squad. Okay. No, no. And folks, that's your cue. We're gonna have some more Rectagino. Um but we we see him we see him leave Starfleet. We see him join the Traveler, and then he's back in Nemesis first fraction right. of a second. Um, he goes to, to Traveler and back. That's what that was right. So let's let's talk about this character. Um What's he going through in terms of trying to figure out what his place is in in this whole universe? I I think, and you know, in a Star Trek series where so much is about the academy and service, where it's it's a specified structure, yeah. you know, uniforms and ranks and all of that and all the all the stuff, and it's almost like there's a dichotomy of are you you're either like born to it or you're not. And in mm. fact, lower, we had lower decks. You know, one of them was about where do I fit, which groove am I in? But the other one was, am I in the groove or not? Right. And, and that's a, it's almost like you say, well, of all the plots, all the arcs of all these characters we might look at today, that might be the easiest one or the most token Star Trek one. Do I, you know, am I Starfleet material or not? And, and we have that across the way too. It's Wesley. 
never questioning the fact that his dad was Starfleet and his mom mm-hmm. was Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And of course I'll be Starfleet. And then you And he, he lives on the Enterprise. And he lives on the Enterprise. He's there yeah. already. Thinks he's but, such a hot yeah. shot because he served on the Enterprise for a minute. Yeah, he was born to. It's like people born in LA. They fall out of bed and think they <laughs> But they uh but he gets to a point when he's 16 and 18 and 20 that all of the should-bes and wannabes don't don't add up. He has the yes. Nova Squad incident. He yeah. has great, you know, second-guessing, not even so much the game invasion, because he's a hero there <laughs> with uh, with Ashley. But he, but um, with the tra- that travel episode, with Final Journey, he really has a, a crisis of confidence, or cri- not of confidence, but a crisis of of assumptions and he really sees that there might not be all that he thought and he has enough he has a vision quest with his dad again with Jack Crusher and he decides that, that you know all of this that builds up is not really it was a false build-up and it was a, it was a controversial show to write this was Ron Moore's uh, take and there's a lot of other aspects of that show but it's the last we see of him and they're they're wrapping up it's it's seventh season. They're wrapping up yeah. all the characters they can. They're trying to put a bow on everybody. Yep. And then by the time the fourth movie runs around, they're like, oh, this is our last movie. Now we're feeling nostalgic on a movie level. And <laughs> let's put everybody at the head table where we've got to have Wesley. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, he gave up on the traveler. He he gave up. Or, he's, putting or a, he's just dropping in, you know, as you do for a wedding, Larry. Like, and you just sit there. Yeah. 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 I'm sure they sent, you know, the intergalactic space time continuum invitation. He got it. He can drop in and out. He can, he can go anywhere in space time. It's, it's fine. Um, well, I, I really like Wesley's arc. And one of the reasons why I like it is a similar reason why I like Jake's arc as well, uh, is, Wesley's dealing with something that I think so many of us deal with are these expectations Expectations. from parents. Yeah. And whether they're directly communicated or subtly communicated, some of us believe that we need to do X, Y, Z thing because maybe our parents do X, Y, Z thing. I mean, for generations, uh, humans didn't have a lot of choice of what do I do? What's my place? Well, your place... Yeah, your family's worked on this farm for a hundred years. Your place is on this farm, you know? Um, there weren't a lot of opportunities to go in different directions. And Wesley deals with some of that. I, I don't think Beverly ever says you need to enlist. I don't think his, his dad ever said that, but his dad is this larger than life figure in his life. Because he's not in his life. You know, he only has these memories of him. And look, I mean, he's serving on the Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation. Picard was also his dad's CEO. I mean, there's all of these signals that are saying, Starfleet, 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 Starfleet. And then it's not the right fit when he tries to go down the path. So many of us have experienced that ourselves. And that always hits. That pressure, I mean, I... Not so much about, you know, whether to join Starfleet or not. But I remember feeling the pressure at 18 of, of like, okay, I've got to pick a college major and a minor. Yes. And whatever I do is going to affect me for the rest of my life. And it does to a great extent. But 
it's like you have whatever you do. It's like that's the path, and there is no other road. I mean, some, maybe they have better counseling now. But when I was in high school, <laughs> I just felt so much pressure, and I had a million interests. That was the other thing. Yeah, I was like yeah. going crazy. But the point here is whether it's that kind of a choice or the choice that we see Wesley, and we're about to talk about Jake. Because yeah. Jake's like the other side of Wesley, where he's yeah. in that mold, and then ultimately decides he gets up the gumption not to 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 go down a Starfleet path early. Yeah. But my point here is, all of us are making that when we're young people about on the threshold of adulthood, we're making this huge decision, and we may feel weighed down by these external factors and these expectations right at the very time in our life when we don't have much life experience. To bear up that, you know, later on is when we go, oh, I didn't have to worry about that. I could have done this. I wish somebody had told me this. And maybe an adult, an older, a, a real counselor, a guidance counselor, somebody that just has been through life, they might tell you on the side, and that would be yeah. wonderful. But for 90% of us that don't get that, or 80% of us that don't get that, it's right at the worst time. It's like the most unbalanced time to yes. be making your life decisions when you haven't had much life to base it on, and you're having to go by what other people tell you. Well, and the pressure that, um, I mean, I really resonated with what you said about the, the, the pressure that those decisions are going to impact which the rest is a of your lot life. Of, which is a lot of finding your calling because yes. a lot of us are thinking about it at that age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, um, I, you know, I kind of grew up having no clue what I wanted to do. I knew I liked Star Trek and I know, I knew I liked, I liked history class. I liked photography class and I liked some of my sciences, but it really depended on who the teacher was. I had no idea. There was no master plan that like, I want to become a psychologist. Um, not at all. I, I like barely passed high school. I almost flunked out. I went to community college and I, I took intro psych sort of by chance, just because it covers general education requirements. And then I really enjoyed it. And then I kept taking those classes and I figured, okay, well, maybe there's something I can do with this. It was never, a, never a part of my plan. If you asked me at 5, 10, 15, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. 18, 19, I didn't know what I wanted to do. As a kid, Larry, I wanted to be a pilot uh, because Pan Am was... Was like you look like a pilot, sir. <laughs> be a pilot. Thank you. Well, thank you for saying that, Larry, because you're the only one. Um, when I told that to someone, they said, you know, pilots need to have perfect vision and you have glasses. And at that point, I had just recently gotten glasses. So I was so sad because <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I can't do that. And I guess that means I can't. Um, I thought maybe being a pilot would help me get into space, and then so I wrote I that off. I was going to say, astronauting for you, yeah. yeah. I, the I, I, I knew that you have to be able to, like, if you want to pilot the thing, you have to be able to pilot airplanes, and then you, they'll let you have a crack at the space shuttle. Um, so I wrote that off, and then I thought, well, maybe I want to be a lawyer, and then uh, that, that didn't really go anywhere. And then I thought, well, maybe I want to be an engineer, because uh, I was growing up in Silicon Valley, and everyone was an engineer, and then I took one programming class, and then realized that that was not for me. So um, I, I connect with Wesley in that way, and to some degree, Jake too, in that way. Yeah, I just thought it's it's like it's very interesting how Jake was very consciously the anti-Wesley, and nothing about this is about Will Wheaton or I, I was always mad at people that jumped on Will. Yeah. Well, he didn't write the part. It was the it was the chaos in the bridge of the first two or three yeah. years 
yeah. next generation. But still, the the example of Wesley was, well, here's the issues we had trying to do this, however they came about. So Jake is going to be the ordinary, average, not gee whiz kid. They'll have the heart of gold and he'll have the, you know, most of the time he'll have the moral stamina to even be a magnet beacon to to Rom, even if uh, to, with Nog, even if Nog pulls him into some shenanigans or whatever. But he eventually has the cojones to figure out his own path and decide early on he's not going to do Starfleet. Yeah. And then to you know be his own man early. Uh, there's so much chat going on. I've been trying to catch. Up oh, it's wonderful. Up. It's I really appreciate these messages. Scott says I've never known for one second what I wanted to be when I grow up. It's something I always was. Um, it's yes. something I was always uh, jealous of. I'm guessing even as kids, friends would talk about wanting to be something, and I didn't get it. Um, and then Those we had wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer yeah. or whatever. I was just so yeah. And you're like, mm, come on. Uh. <laughs> in ninth grade, I, had a, I had a semester careers class in ninth grade. We had to write, we had to write a paper about what it was we wanted to do, yeah. and I didn't. So when I was in ninth grade, the the job, I, the thing I wrote about being when I was an adult was owning a hobby shop. Oh, I love that! I love that! I can totally see that. I was so. But part of that is when you're a kid, you you know, you get the Sesame Street, you know, you get yeah. the fireman, firefighter, postman, yeah. doctor, you know, whatever. You get those. There are so many billion niches of work and careerism that you, no one knows. And like right. where you are, like, yeah, there are yeah. 40 billion things I would have said I would have loved to do in the entertainment industry. But I was sitting in Oklahoma and I didn't know, you know, yeah. besides a writer or an actor. I didn't know what those were until I read yeah. the make Star Trek, but I didn't know. If you don't get exposure to these different career paths, they might not even seem like a realistic opportunity for you. Like I had no idea there were all these people in the world of media making the stuff that I loved watching, you know, and, and I wonder if I got more exposure to uh, to the production world, if maybe I would have wanted to become a filmmaker um, and I worked in New York for a very long time, uh, and I worked with a lot of people who were in the finance industry, and a lot of their kids wanted to go into the finance industry. And up until, honestly, up until I lived in New York City, I didn't even know what the finance industry was or what these career paths were. So a lot of it also comes down to exposure and seeing someone like you doing the thing, doing this different career path and kind of putting that seed of the idea here that like, oh yeah, you can do this. I was into model making. I watched, you know, some movies, got interested in this stuff and then like kept doing that. And now I work at ILM and I, you know, make models. Um, if there's still people making models, right? Um, Triangulum Audio Studios says, I grew up with an expectation to enter media and announcing, radio, etc. And for years, I did that and hated it. So I went back to college, got my degree in graphic design and programming. But now I've gotten back to writing and announcing, etc. Et and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. It's timey-wimey. It's wibbly-wobbly. Yeah. Right, Larry? Mm-hmm. That's a good... You should TM that phrase. That's cool. Oh, yeah. I'm sure... No one else has ever said that one before. 
Um, Scott also says it changed a lot for me after the first time I flew. I wanted to be a pilot. After I got glasses, I wanted to be an uh, optometrist. After I took Spanish, I wanted to be a Spanish teacher. After I took psychology, you get the point. Um, I love that, Scott. I thought he was going to say, after I took Spanish, I wanted to be a Spain person. (laughs) I wanted to be a Spain person. Libby also says, I wanted to be 150 different things, but not an administrative assistant type of job. However, after college, I realized I wanted to write, eventually to act, and to do a lot of things I actually enjoy. And I needed steady income with insurance to support those things I enjoy. I ended up being very good assistant and in normal times do a lot of writing and acting. It works for me. Uh, Libby, that's a great comment, too, because we, you, you don't have to get all your purpose and meaning in your job. And many of us do a job so that allows us to do these other things that might be more unpredictable in life. And for many years, I was doing a side gig of, of my YouTube channel and media And at one point, those side gigs led me to my new job that I have now, working at a mental health startup. So this is all, it's like this. But when you're a kid, you think it's like this. You think it's a straight, linear path. And if you're not on that path, you're you're left behind. Well, yeah, we, I mean, if there's one thing I could go back and and teach 12, 12 12-year-old me or 15-year-old me or 18-year-old me, it's, it's that, it's that. There are so many different careers. It's so feathered. It's such a spectrum of work and jobs in any area that that simplified, you know, Sesame, I keep calling it the Sesame Street view of occupations. But that thing you get for kids when you're your kid's storybook, you know, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a race car driver. I want to be a fireman. Um, yeah, it's so much more complex than that. Of course, you're a kid and they're not going to layer on the complexity at you. You know, the, the specific specificity of things at you. But by the time you're in high school, there should be at least an awareness of, okay, just because yeah. you live where you live and no one in your life does these other 47 million things, here's an awareness. And they shouldn't make you be two years out of college and move before you realize, oh, I could, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you're yeah. going to have aptitude tests and aware, I mean, that was the first time I, I had all these things. I, I love history. And a lot of so much stuff in the Midwest is about teaching it and being a high school mm. teacher or being, you know, whatever. Well, if you love this, if you love acting in theater and tech, go teach acting in theater somewhere. Huh. And in high school, that means you're going to be an English teacher because very few, you know, there's all these, as we just said, the accommodations. And sometimes you do it because of the situation and all that. But anyway, it's it's. Um, you know, and then you think, well, then I've got to move if I'm going to do that. And I don't really want to move and locational. And anyway, there are so many things that we don't even have the the ability to pull in the factors in and make decisions about. But I, I feel like we should move on because we've got we should to- move on. Uh, yeah. We should move on because there's so many characters for us to talk about. And as as Libby says here, um, careers, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's a good way to say it. So um, we were going to talk about Jake. And I, I think just one interesting thing about Jake is Jake seems to get a little bit more pressure from his dad about pursuing Starfleet. Would you agree with that, Larry? I think he was being nudged a little bit more in that direction than Wesley yeah, I was. Think, I think Wesley felt the ghost of his father. I don't yes. think he got it from his mother so much. Uh, the absentee mom that's fired, excuse me, is transferred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so gosh. I think he 
felt it more of a vacuum of the ghost of his yes. dad. And then Jake's that no, everyone's like, no, we're not. No, everybody else also looked at Wesley as a genius and thought, well, if you're going to use those gifts of, you know, geniusosity, uh, <laughs> then you, the Starfleet's the best place. To is do that, that is that the third Doctor Trek is in? I guess so. That's a bonus. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And Jake, yes, I think Jake felt it a little, and not like the, they had enough going on with. Dominion and changelings and yeah. wormholes yeah. and polys <laughs> that they're all focused on Jake's life, but I think his dad had just threw him a little bit. Yeah, um, and and even though Jake sort of settles in on wanting to be a writer, um, it's explored in a lot of different ways. And Larry, one of my favorite things is when writers write about writers or writers write about wanting to be a writer because they have so much to say because they're writers about, you know, whether it's far beyond the stars or it's um, Jake's journey. Like writing is so often portrayed as this like very noble, beautiful craft. It's just, it's just wonderful to see writers. Write the red writing. courage. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But we see Jake as, um, as a reporter um, as a um, not uh, as a fiction um, uh, writer and author, uh, it's beautifully shown in, in a lot of episodes. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the episode, but when he's with that combat um, division, that's and... the I said the red pad of courage. That's um, nor the battle to the strong. Yes, um, a really um, a really tough episode and one that I think shows us an aspect of Starfleet that you never see to the visitor. Which, gosh, that episode always makes me cry, especially now, being a dad. Um, we see Jake kind of grapple with what does this mean? And in that episode, we see him transition so much from wanting to be a writer to trying to rescue his dad to then being a writer again. Um, and it's then okay, to it's all trying to... Yeah. <laughs> it's all been uh, recent, so don't worry too much. <laughs> it has, it has, it's a happy ending, Ollie. Don't worry. Um, Jake's a really great example of that. An example also of what you're talking about. What we were talking about, Larry, is he goes down a career path that is so different from everyone around him. Um, mm -hmm. That's something also I love about his story. But again, original series, Next Generation, we were talking about how hard it is to find these arcs. Now, if you want to jump to Worf, I don't know. We've got three or four here that are the ones that I worked on doing images for. I think we should do Worf. I think we I should. Think, I think the further, the same, look, the same thing that the writers on Trek would complain about. And even though they, they weren't so shackled by Gene's perfect humans, that whole notion of how do we keep telling dramatic stories and not, you know, not lean on, not rely on just people having conflicts. And DS9 was about the collision of cultures. Yes. That's where the conflict comes from. Voyager is doing the same thing, only it's in a completely different realm of space with the mission of getting home. And how do you, you know, make moral judgments about how you get home and the people you meet along the way on that one? And that was easier to see, you know, and both of them brought in ne'er do wells, people, <laughs> people who needed to be redeemed for whatever ills and sins they'd committed, you know, whatever. Um, I think. I was just sitting here thinking, and it didn't even dawn on me the other night. I don't think we ever came across anybody from Enterprise. That, uh, uh, I put down 
to Paul, maybe, because she does struggle with, like, is it the Vulcan, um, what are they called? They're not the Vulcan science. What's, Vul- What's their Starfleet called, Larry? It's just Vulcan, yeah, just Vulcan space fleet. Vulcan, yeah. So am I, am I there or am I Starfleet? I think she struggled yeah. a bit a bit with that, which is a little bit different than what we're talking about. But yeah, can we, can we dive into everyone's favorite character to who that exemplifies every theme we're talking about also every week? Like, I guess it's Spock and Worf because boy, this character, not only does he go through a lot of uniform changes, um, (laughs) well, it's signifying the uniform is signifying what he's doing with life. Right. So, yeah, yeah. He has and, a major. He has a major heart ch- heart change. He has a major change of heart when he comes when he stumbles into DS nine. Which heart are we talking about, though? His left yeah. or right heart? What? <laughs> well, but what sh- probably the conservative heart. So I would say the one on the right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, his uh, the uniform change does uh, represent his his change in place and. We see him, um, season one of TNG, he's just a security officer, right? Under, no, no, under. He's on the bridge. He's in command. That's that first. Put, put so what's his team. role? What's his role then before Tasha Yar dies? His role is to see if he can get beyond a 16 week contract. That's his. <laughs> he was originally hired to be every other episode, but he was, looked so good in the pilot, they quickly made him. You know, put him back there, which was probably another nail in the coffin of, of Denise Crosby feeling like she had no room to breathe as a character. And yeah. oh, look who's standing right there to take over. No, he was kind of the utility. He was an aft science roaming guy. And then mm. he got to make, you know, the Klingon lines, you know, pollution <laughs> to make the Klingon lines. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was there and then it, is, you know, melted. And no one, you know, Bring him a DS9. How weird is that? To take someone out of one cast chemistry set and yes. plop another. Yes. And it worked. He, yeah. uh, there are people who will argue that Worf actually works better as a DS9 character in all the chaos and the, and the gray of DS9. I agree. I agree. Um, we just got uh, the chat helped us out. Larry, it's um, the Vulcan High Command uh, is, is the term we were See. thinking of. Thank you, Triangulum. Like Romulan, like Klingon, yeah, thanks a lot. Is there a Vulcan low command? Like, are those the folks that are, like, manning the, I don't know, uh, spaceports on Vulcan? Is that the Vulcan low command? When you come to Vulcan, the entity that is their, it's Vulcan Space Central is the name of their space agency, or their orbital. I could have told you that. So anyway, no, we never, I mean, okay, Vulcan high command, at least in those, in the pre-Federation days. That's yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Worf, um, and we do see Worf struggle with this. Like, Worf definitely struggles with maybe not so much the transition to security on the Enterprise, but we do see him struggle with the transition to Deep Space Nine, how he spends, um, some of that time, uh, connecting with O'Brien, but also seeing how different O'Brien's life is here. He's, uh, he ends up sleeping on the Defiant. Because that feels more home to him. He struggles with the way Odo does business and security on Deep Space Nine. We've talked about that in a previous episode. Um, but Worf is, is, and not to mention all the times where he does have to go 
and serve more with Klingons. Um, and so, like, what is his place from an occupation? And then, you know, in, in some possible futures, we see him as ambassador. So, well, ambassador. Um, now, the image I put together last night, spent yeah. some time on, you've got a moment where he resigns his Starfleet commission to go fight in the Klingon Civil War with yes. Gowron. That's not just that's not just emissary where he's playing or he's doing a ruse. That's yes. him actually leaving. And yeah, the bottom there, he's ambassador in the future. The oh, I didn't see I didn't see the all good things uh, part of it right there in the bottom. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, now that's him all good things. But he does leave to be at the end of DS Nine. He's leaving to go be Martok's ambassador, which he then doesn't stick with for very long because he doesn't like being an ambassador. But right, he, right, right. We see him that, then. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, rejected, he had the choice to be the chancellor in one of those so, fluxy moments, and he said, no, no, not for me. So, yeah. What What's great about Worf is it gets back to what you and I were talking about. There's no one clear path for someone. Like, Let's look at the different skills that are acquired. The skills required of being... of of becoming a series regular are very different than chief of security, are very different than strategic operations officer, are very different than someone who's serving in a Klingon fleet. And are, those are all very different than ambassador and diplomacy. And yet, Worf is able to learn what the demands are of all these different roles and um, and really excel at them. And the same is true of all of us. There is no one clear path. There's just, what's the next path I'm going to try? And I'm going to learn from and grow from and see where this leads to. Um, something I talk to a lot of patients about is um, people think career paths are like GPS navigation. You start here, you say where you want to go, and it's a clear direction there. Um, actually, I totally did that wrong. It would be a clear direction there. Uh, okay. But it's not. Uh, your careers are not GPS navigation. It's wayfinding. And wayfinding is how humans have navigated in the open ocean where you don't exactly know how to get from here to there. You have a general idea of like, well, I want to go east. But you start where you are and you figure out what's the next best step from here and then you go there, what's the next best step? You go there, and sometimes you kind of move around in a bit of a circle, but eventually you go in the kind of the direction you want to be. Careers are, are wayfinding. It's not It's not GPS, and Worf does a really great job of showing us that. Yeah. Oh, Larry, we, we didn't mention our, our always favorite, always suffering uh, O'Brien. Um, we haven't talked about him yet, but is well, he... This was, we, yeah, we've got to... And, you know, this is... He starts off... This is what I just kills me. The, the, the moment they said, oh, this guy who's an extra that's glorified, we have him on. Let's do something funky. Let's have him be in the string quartet with Data. And ever since they did this watch, <laughs> then it becomes a big thing on DS9 that, you know, where it, it, uh, they have two or three episodes where his dad wanted him to be a cello player. And he, it's, like that, it's like that Python skit where the guy runs away from his dad is a, is a playwright. Yeah. It's a whole reversal on his dad's a minor and he wants to run off and be an actor. In this family, the dad is the playwright and he runs away to be a banker. <laughs> and he, every time he comes home, his dad is griping at him about he could have gone to the theater, he could have been in the arts, but no, he has to go waste his life on being a banker. 
and that's all, I always think of O'Brien there because his dad wanted him to be a cello player, and, and O'Brien throws it away to run off to Starfleet as an enlisted guy. But anyway, <laughs> it was choice. Like he's finding his way, and then yeah, he's in he's in command on the Enterprise early, and then switches to ops, and then then it's a matter of scale. Am I going to stay in transporter room three my whole life, or am I going to get to be a regular on another series and be the chief <laughs> of a broken down station? You know, and get married and have kids and spend all my time with the guys at the bar on Friday and Saturday <laughs> playing darts and you know, playing, you know, holiday, you know, playing, uh, playing games in the hollow suites. But again, that's finding a path, not as dramatic as Worf's maybe, but somebody who. Yeah. You know. And what I like about uh, O'Brien is I, I think O'Brien speaks to things that we all uh something that Libby was talking about earlier here is you might have an hobby and interest but you also need something that might be more reliable to sustain it i get the impression that o'brien was always interested in tinkering and messing with um mechanics and engineering and putting things together but there might not be a lot of oppor- career opportunities to be a mechanic in starfleet i don't know um, but there might be more career opportunities to go in more of an ops con kind of role. And we see him then transition to transporter chief where he probably we do see him tinker with the Heisenberg compensator and all that sort of stuff. And then when the position opened up at um, to be the chief uh, chief uh, engineer oh. at Deep Space Nine or the chief op, whatever officer, what is chief his of role? Operations. Chief yeah. of operations, um, not to be confused with. Operations, which is not, <laughs> yeah, um, like, yeah. Um, but then, the, when he got the chance to better himself and the rest of humanity, I would, I would say, I would say yes. Um, that's, I, I connect with O'Brien in that sense. That there are things that I've um, always had an interest in doing and have kind of done them on the side and trying to find ways of doing them more. Um, O'Brien really represents that. But speaking of Deep Space Nine, Larry, I think we have to dive into um, what is probably the best representation of this, which is ROM. I mean, can you talk about more diversity in yeah. your calling and your place than, we, than ROM? Well, we, we people, and especially since Aaron Eisenberg passed, people love to talk about how ROM you know, may be the most changed, evolved character. And some of that is about your place, not just in a career, but your place in the universe and your place, your character place. And and Nog goes from, you know, the Peck's bad boy, uh, boy, there's a dated reference, to, you know, the kid no one thinks is honest. And then is he honest enough to be in Starfleet? And then he winds up being a hero and, a you know, loses his leg and he's a, injured in in combat. All of that. But it's almost like people are forgetting that, okay, his dad followed almost the same path. And then, you know, and then the ultimate, though, but, you know, Nog is not quite yet um, the president of the Federation <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but Nog is, you know, when we last, or Rom is when we last left him, he's the Grand Nagus now. And he started yes. off as the dumb brother. Yes. One thought could do math, could do anything. And then he winds up with the secret, you know, tinkering genius. And winds up as a Bajoran engineer and gets out from under his brother's thumb after unionizing the bar, you know. I sort of forgot that he becomes a Grand Nagus at the end until you mentioned it. Because it's so not in keeping with 
where we first see the character, that's, right? It's an easy your thing. French card, that's, uh, yes, he winds up Grand Vegas. Yes. I, I, I forgot for a moment because it's, um, it's, it also parallels the transition we see in Ferengi culture. Um, mm-hmm. part of that because of, Moogie, part of that because of the the Grand Nagus we see throughout the series, um, but it's 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 a wonderful arc there for the Ferengi and it was sick and yeah yeah and Rom is someone who a lot of people don't don't really listen to his ideas early on, especially Quark. Um, but once once people start to really listen to him and understand that this. This guy who has a different perspective on things, he's got some good ideas. We should really listen to him. He has learned a lot about how to keep, how to, how to tech the tech at Quarks. Um, those holodecks in holosuites and Quarks get pretty dirty. They're pretty old, and Rom has managed to keep them going for a very long time. This this person knows how to tech the tech. Spatula will travel. I always love that. <laughs> yes, There's a spatula in there. Yeah, I know. Um, he's, he makes it work and he's, he's the person who came up with the idea of the self-replicating minds that, that mine the, the wormhole. Um, he's done so much. So to me, Rom is a great, ex- great example of, um, we need to listen to people who do see things differently, who do have a different perspective, just because they might not fit into the way the group is thinking. That might be the exact quality we need is a different perspective to help us through solving this problem. Rom is a beautiful example of that. But that's but when you say we need to help find those people, that's externalizing. If we're back to our theme here, we're talking about yeah. a lot of times we don't have the support of anybody or the awareness or the care or the notice of anybody around, even people that care about us. They may not notice that we're needing some help finding a calling and it's yes. summoning it. It's finding it within yourself to make your own decisions or, or finding it within yourself of knowing, you know, it's like, well, I need to ask somebody. Well, that's great. But like who, where, what? Um, yeah. That, you know, some, some things nobody can tell you externally, even though people want to help. Sometimes people, Sometimes we go through things that that Rom went through, which is no one really encouraging you to go down a certain path or you not believing that that path is even right for you. Um, Rom really represents that to me. And as people start to believe in him and as people start to encourage him more, you see how much he flourishes. Yeah, we all we all need someone to encourage us or give us the idea that, yeah, you can't... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> Larry's on fire today. Uh, take a drink, um, have some more Ractagino. So, um, yeah, I, I really love I love his journey, and I think Rom's journey is also what makes Deep Space Nine so great, Larry, is it takes these characters that you think have no significance to mm-hmm. galactic politics and shows you, no, 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 this person is the most important character here. Everyone has, um, everyone can contribute from the Starfleet captain to the bar maintenance person. <laughs> well, and before we leave this, it just start, you know, Damar or Damar, however you say it, starts off being the helmsman with one line mm. to, um, 
to being like the number two most important guy in Cardassia, to being a horrendous alcoholic, to the guy who leads the free, who, who leaves legit world behind. You know, he leaves the he's he's Rudolf Hess. He leaves not yeah. the Nazis behind and goes yeah. parachutes into London, um, and then he dies trying to liberate his people. Talk yeah. about it. I yeah. mean, there's all kinds of odysseys like that. Again, not to like mention a great connoisseur of Canar. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Which that, is that man is, knows his Canar. <laughs> <laughs> he does, and the canters. But somebody, yes. you know, on, I mean, every, it's like DS9 is full of people, like Odo's journey from not knowing who he is to knowing who he is. And he, and he, and he works for everybody and they all still trust him. Or Kira going from, you know, terrorist, vic, uh, uh, a refugee victim to a terrorist to being a building block of her government. And, and, and then most of all, maybe Cisco. Yeah. Going from yeah. Family Guy and Starfleet to this, you know, carrying a chip on your shoulder of guilt and, and anger to yeah. just run the damn station to, I didn't, I don't want to be another hero. <laughs> I'm not a religious guy. And then, you know, and then plunging off a cliff over. Yeah. Um, the fire yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of finding your places in DS9. It's, it's part of it's just the structure of getting away from, you know, that. And then Voyager, you've got the whole thing of Voyager with the Maquis. We haven't even gone there yet, but we haven't even. I mean, we there's so much. I mean, we should, we should we, at least creep through these, right? I think, I think, yeah, I think we should do a lightning round here because we see Neelix. Um, but, Neelix is a character that really speaks to this. Um, whether you're interested in some Leola root uh, soup, or if you're interested in a guide, um, you're interested in a negotiator. Um, a, a ship's morale officer, um, and then later we see him as someone who's um, who's a part of a family. You know, when I first watched uh, Star Trek Voyager, Dark Side, he was a he yes. was a traitor. I mean, he was doing some dark deals there. That's yes. what yes. he was running away um, from being in the shady end of things. He really bad. needed a bath, Larry. He really needed a bath uh, when we <laughs> when we meet him. He's very excited about that you know, bath. A fur trench coat, you're probably going to do that. When I first watched Voyager, he was one of the characters I least liked. Um, upon rewatching, I think Neelix gets a, gets a bad rap. I, I actually think Neelix episodes are are um, are good, and the Doctor I think doesn't hold up as well as on on the rewatch. My my views of the Doctor and Neelix have kind of shifted. Oh. Um, the Doctor episodes, I'm like. Eh, hit and miss and the neelix episodes i'm like you know not bad um but he's he's a character we see transition a lot i think zaheer had a really great comment here where he says kes is a character who ends up not finding her place her telepathic yeah yeah (laughs) their telepathic abilities start as an asset but grow to a point where she can't control them and then she has to strike out on her own i think that's that's a really great point as well that we haven't quite tackled yet uh larry which is what happens if your place is no longer with the crew. It's no longer where you are right now. Some of us, in order to find, um, pursue our calling or find our place, it means leaving where you are, um, going on our own, you know, hero's journey. Uh, I think you and I have both done that to some degrees in our lives. Um, 
Um, I thought I was doing that, and, and then I returned back to California. I left California for 15 years and then uh, came back. So, um, And you're obviously not in Oklahoma anymore. So I think to some degree both of us have done this, and, and we go back and forth, and, you know, life I, is yes. messy. The more, the more life goes on, I, um, among the main things I thought about doing was being a teacher. I, you know, being a journalism teacher, being a music teacher, being... Uh, I think you would be a great teacher. Your uh, students would love you. The guilt, the guilt of the last few years about me not being a history teacher in high school mm. and making history alive and not just being a, you know, a coach. Okay, answer the questions back to the chapter. Test will be all, you know, multiple choice and fill in the blank. Here's the names and dates. You have to remember. <laughs> that kind of history where everybody's like, uh, what's the smooth holly tariff? Uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. No. I, and you see it now. We've had a generation or two that have no clue. And I was reading something yesterday about how dumb Americans are the overall dumbest culture about their own history, much less the rest of the world. And we're paying mm. for it. Now. We're, we're paying so- for it now. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow. Well, that optimistic yeah. note. Let's talk about Tom Paris. <laughs> Zahir, you got Zahir up here talking about Quark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Quark, so, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quark is a, is, is another good example. Let me throw that comment back up. Um, Zahir's talking about, um, um, you know, he ends up going out in a, on heroic acts, a scene where he shoots a gem, jar, gem hadar soldier to protect his bar, uh, very Quark. Um, yeah, we. I, I think when you look at these characters, you see the uniform they're in, you see their position, but there's so much more to each character um, beyond that. And I think a good example of this is Tom Paris. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he he starts out as an outcast, as someone who is taken out of prison, and the crew isn't so hot on him. Back 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 up. He starts off as an admiral's boy, so yes. he's, he's a yes. Starfleet brat, yes. okay, a little bit like Jake, or, or Wesley maybe, but he's one that's really all over the place, so he goes to Starfleet, he screws up like Wesley did, and instead of rebounding from his mistake, he washes out, and he goes and joins the Maquis, yeah. but he screws up there. I mean, like, yeah. imagine being a, you know, imagine being a complete... A double screw up. And then he's recaptured and he's in prison. And then Janeway says, no, sir, I, no, son, I think I can make something of you and make you a regular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not only is he on Voyager as, um, you know, this great hotshot pilot, but we also see him become a nurse, a medic, whatever his role is. We also see him take on that morale officer role more than I think Neelix does um, with all of his holodeck adventures um, and then also to become a husband and to become um, uh, a friend. Um, he's someone who does walk a lot of roles in it, both in his personal life, but also his professional life. Um, I thought it was so cool to see someone who is both the pilot of one of Federation's fastest ships, and also, uh, also a nurse. Like those are, you would think those would be such different skills, and yet he's able to to walk those roles out of necessity because there's I... not really a big medical team here. Um, the medical team is uh, a holographic officer. <laughs> um, so, decimated. So I, yeah, yeah. That leaves us with two series. Um, 
Larry, we talked about Topal a little bit. Uh, I think um, folks in the comments I, section. It's interesting. Can we can we say real quick? I sent you a thing. I don't want to show it. Yeah. Paris. The, who does Paris finally find an attraction to? Bellana, who's somebody who's having her own. Where's my place in the world? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and these, have you noticed how all these things go back to daddy issues? <laughs> Either your dad's <laughs> dead or your dad. <laughs> you know, Star Trek does have a lot of dad themes now I that I think realized. about it. Even yeah. Kirk in, in the Kelvin timeline. Um, yeah, you know, um, Star Trek doesn't have... It has much less featured mother stories. Maybe a little bit with LeVar Burton's Geordi. Maybe with Cisco. Cisco has a lot of mommy issues. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have too many daddy issues. He does have a lot of mommy well, issues. Well, and in a blow for gender equality, now on Lower Decks we've got, uh, we've got, what's her name and her mom? Yes, yes, yes. Do you know any of the characters' names yet? I don't know any of the characters' names. Well, it's it's um, Mariner. It's Beckett Mariner, but her her mom is Captain Freeman. And yes. I wonder if the oh spoilers. I wonder if the Admiral Dad. I mean, not that names matter now, yeah. much less in the twenty first century. But I I keep wanting to hear what her dad's at the Admiral's name is. Like, yeah. why did why did uh, has a mother remarried? If, it's, if we're still in traditional lineal name naming. Of, family names did her mother get remarried or is beckett keeping did she take a name is is mariner her middle name because she doesn't want to have her mother's name you know like the kid getting out of the yeah the, the glow of the parent and having their own identity i there's a there's a whole little sidebar thing to that that has intrigued me from day one but anyway it's a blow for hey it's not just guys and their dads look well, and, and yeah, oh. and Linda mentions uh, Rafi and her son in Star Trek oh, yes. Picard. Uh, I think that's that's a really great example of that, and I hope we get to see more oh. of that. Um, yeah, that's that's a great example. Um, moving through the rest of the franchise, um, we talked a little bit about T'Pol and um, her struggle with Vulcan High Command or Starfleet. And to the comments section, thank you. They mentioned um, Vulcan Low Command would be a great story for Lower Decks to explore. Um, I completely agree with you. Uh, I would love that. Um, but getting us to Star Trek Discovery, uh, we see that with uh, with Saru. Zahir mentioned Saru is a, is a really great um, example. He's the only Kelpian to go from prey to predator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's also so, the only Kelpian no. to leave. What's their planet called? Uh, uh, oh, Kaminar. Kaminar. Yes, he's the only Kelpian to leave to enlist in Starfleet. Um, what's his now, place? His sister, I, they we just saw them being yes. newly folded, and his sister shows up to help fight the fight at the end of the second season. Right, now. right, right. I forgot about that. So there's a dawn there, but still, yeah. You're overwhelming weight. Well, Discovery is all about everybody on their own. Can I throw one more in here from the Please. chat? I've been really bad about the chat. Yes. But Clayton had a point back on DS9. He says yes. that the Trek character I really connected with personally, this is at 1044 if you're trying to find it. I'm looking um, for it. The only Trek character I connected with personally was Julian Bashir. He started off oh, as right. that young, self-important guy. And then he finds out about his genetic birthing and engineering, and then he gets kidnapped with a changeling double, and he yes. escapes, and he has PTSD. 
And then he tries to ha help the other savants like himself. Then he's contacted by 31. And uh, he's gone quite dark at the end. And then he winds up with Esri after he gave... Oh, and then he gives up on Dax and then winds up with Dax at the end. Um, and he puts it with O'Brien the whole time. Uh, there you go. Anyway, and yes, I mean, it's interesting how, I mean, you could find it, part of this is the luxury of the longer, if a character was in a long series that went seven years, you're going to get, or had a lot of movies, you're going to get a lot about them. So that's just, you know, you're going to feel more like you've seen their change or heard them talk about their changes even off camera. Speaking ever, of, Speaking of Clayton and um, Julian, he also mentions Julian had parent issues since his parents both decided to put him in um, in learning, uh, put this learning difficulty kid into genetic engineering and turned him into a super mind. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love Julian. He's always a character I've very much connected with um, as well. Um, upon the my recent rewatch of Deep Space Nine, I think there is, he, he's definitely got pre-me-to um, harassment uh, problems that come up come are displayed with with Jadzia and that's that's something about Star Trek is it's created in these different eras we can go back to the original series there's a lot of problems of, of sexism there we can go back to 90s Trek and, and look at that but you know Star Trek continues to evolve and we can both love these characters and criticize aspects of them as well uh, but Julian's Julian's a really great example of that um I think we've mentioned someone from every series. Picard, obviously, Picard is dealing with like what's oh. his place as in retirement in Star Picard Trek. Picard, yeah. I mean that whole ship, Larry. That everyone on that ship is is dealing with this. Um, and well, I, with Picard, as we saw the you know Q's false future, Picard's yes. whole pivotal moment, yeah, is the stabbing. You know, at the bar, and you see, and he even, he gets to do. It's a wonderful play, song. human play, Dom John. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. But you see, you know, you Q, talk and you talk, but you have no grump. <laughs> you really love those little Magnetel uh, Dom John sticks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow, Magnetel. Wow. That oh man, we are both. Such young chippers, aren't we, Larry? You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's micro machines. You want to get your micro machines? We've got a brand new micro machine Star Trek action figure set. Look at the set over here. You remember that guy? Are you pounding the carpet as you do oh, it? Oh, right. Yeah. What was wrong with the spastic kids on Saturday morning cartoons when they've got like the you know the speed cars and the hungry, hungry hippos? It's micro machines. They're always bashing the carpet. I'm like, who does that? Nobody yeah. does. Are you spastic? <laughs> you? I mean, I'm, I'm eight years oh old. Oh, my gosh. Spastic kid in the commercial. Is oh that what you have gosh. to be in the commercial, live in L.A. and be spastic? Uh, yes, as it turns out. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's I guess as the more we're peeling these layers back, some of the series I thought weren't so great, or at least about showing us or telling us. Um, you know, I mean, McCoy. My God, I'm not even thinking about McCoy being mm. a doctor gets divorced and goes into Starfleet because of his divorce. Oh, right. Right. All she left me with were my bones. Okay, that's fake. That's fake. He didn't I love that line. I love I, that line. Nice line, but it does nothing for the re the prime universe. Kirk called McCoy bones because it's short for sawbones. Has nothing to do with his Okay. Anyway. Really? Was that the um, prime universe explanation? 
Yeah, it's not on camera, but it's on all that's it's on all the guides. That's what fandom thought for forty years until. Yeah, yeah. I was just it's thrilled. A to have, it's a different universe. It can have its own thing. Well, the divorce isn't. See, the divorce and that neither one have ever been on film. And, and I whipsawed in '09. I went from yes, the divorce is on film to no, that's not the reason. Okay, it's oh boy, this is sure this is sure a different time stream. Okay, fine. It's like. Uh, speaking of different time stream, um, we mentioned Spock before, and we see Spock struggle with what's his role here in Star Trek 2009, in Star Trek in the Darkness, and in um, Star Trek Beyond. I think that's one uh, continuous thread where Spock is really trying to figure out what is his role with the crew, what is his role with Starfleet, what is his role with Vulcans as an endangered species. Um, and we see Spock Prime sort of guiding him in that, even after he passes away as well, the impact of Spock Prime. So, again, it all comes back to Spock. <laughs> oh, and, you know, the other character from the Kelvin universe that we have this huge path for, uh, Kingser. No. Mm. <laughs> so, Larry, should we jump into um, the Counselor's Law? <laughs> this is... I think we've been dabbling in the counselor's log here off and on. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've been, um, we, that it's was a very a long, uh, briefing room. Um, I'm going to do a very quick counselor's log here. This is where I do a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the psychology at play here. Um, so just, uh, just a couple of things I want to mention is we're often told as kids that, uh, you know, find your passion. And I think that's actually really bad advice. Because what research has shown is people don't have one passion. They tend to have like, two to five different things that they're passionate about. And so um, the message that a lot of us get in America is finding the one thing. But this is why we put um, finding your callings, finding your place. That's why we titled this episode that way. Because there's many paths. I, I like to think of your future and your careers as a multiverse, not as as one universe of possibilities, but a multiverse of possibilities. There's a lot of different Where ways. Where was you when I was 18, Ollie? Come on. Where was I when I was 18, Larry? I, um, you know how many times I could do, I could pull a tapestry on myself, but then I probably wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't be doing this thing, which that is would why. would be pulling thread too many, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is why that episode is one of my favorite episodes, because whenever I get in my head of like, oh, if I only knew this, and I'm like, well, no, because if I knew that, I probably wouldn't be here. And so, awesome. Thank you for that cue. So, how do you understand what to do? Um, this, uh, one of the easiest ways that I can advise people is to really understand what your character strengths are. Your character strengths are the things that w when you do, when you act in uh, using your strength, you tend to do very well. And it's also invigorating for you. So there's some things that we all do well, but we don't like doing. So for example, I'm pretty good at day-to-day -day tech support. I can fix stuff that, that breaks down in terms of technology, in terms of like computers. I can fix those. If there's a software interface, I can usually fix it at home, but I hate doing it. It stresses me out. I, I, I can, I can work my way through it, but it's not something I enjoy. But working with people, um, talking to people, 
teaching, understanding and helping people, that stuff that really invigorates me. I love, I love, love, love talking to people. So understanding your character strengths, because when you use them, not only are you invigorated, but you enter what's called a flow state. Flow states, um, uh, this is a term that was coined by Mihail Csikszentmihalyi, a psychologist who uh, talks about what happens when time passes by really quickly, you're really absorbed in a task, and um, you're, you're not you're quite... in the zone. You're in the zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people might call it a runner's high. Some people might call it um, like a really deep state of work or a deep focus. But we all experience it when we're really absorbed and time begins to pass by. When you know what your character strengths are, and when you're able to apply them to a task and experience flow, that's what it's all about. That's what is going to help you to find your place. When you're able to do something that invigorates you and absorbs you. And there's so many pathways to do that. I'm going to talk about in the away mission how to discover yours, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. And, um, I'm going to, to be continued for a few minutes until we get through. We need to. Oh, K3. K3. So here's a different, here's a change of pace. Uh, one of very quickly K3 guys, for those of you who are new to uh, life support live, the K3, as you saw there, was the only reference to mental health, aside from a psycho tricorder, the only reference to mental health in the uh, original series and, and uh, Dr. Noel being a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Um, but no, Dr. Uh, Dr. McCoy's biobed monitor has a K3 factor measuring brain activity. That's where the name came from. Here's a chance for us to do an old-fashioned Star Trek background deep dive into an aspect of what we're talking about today. And in the real world of Trek, I mean, there are lots and lots of stories. Um, oh, I was reading Heidi's background earlier about her. She had a life uh, and things happening in life that determined what she was doing uh, in animal husbandry and veterinary. And uh, yes. I'm still behind on the chats, but I want to tell you the K3 for today is actually one of the writers uh, who finally came to... Here's amazing things. They, they love to say when Michael Piller had the open submission policy, there were two people whose spec scripts, whose sample scripts were bought as is. You know, they bought a lot of ideas from people, especially if they weren't real writers. They'd take the idea or they would buy the script and then hand it to somebody on staff or give it to a third, you know, a, a third party writer, a non-staffer to, to work on, depending on the time clock. There were two different people whose scripts were bought side and were bought and then produced basically the way they were written, totally from outside. One was Ron Moore. Mm -hmm. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood, Ron. When he wrote The Bonding. And it wasn't even the open script policy. He gave it to people at conventions. And it actually survived the slush pile and was read. And Michael Pillar, desperate in his behind year, when he first he was thrown into the mix, um, and that's when he came up with the open policy. He's like, I need all the help I can get. We'll take, we'll listen to everybody around the world. <laughs> nice guy is because it'll at least be something. It'll be, yeah. Well, it was the intact script for the bonding they bought from Ron. The only other person whose script was basically made intact was a young writer named Renee Echevarria who lived in New York and was all enmeshed in theater and was, you know, a waiter on the side, and there's young Ron. Wow, that's tiny. Yeah, he came up very small side there. 
that's small. This is a picture of Renee when he was like first year writer. Renee's story, yeah, here he's at Next Generation. He wrote he wrote The Offspring. Yeah. Right? Data's yeah. Data's daughter. Episode. That was that was his spec script. And they were like, Oh my god, we can make this as is, basically. Wow. And did it. And they loved it so much. Of course they were asking him back to write more. And he did. And he wrote several more. And they're like, oh, my God, what are you doing in New York? Come to L.A. And he's like, well. And in his head, he was always going to be a big playwright. You know, he, he has a Cuban ancestry. He was going to be, he felt at home in New York. He was going to be a big theater guy. Wanted to be a big Broadway, off-Broadway guy. And L.A., eh, you know, that whole cross-country thing we carry around. Even New York and L.A. carry eh, things about each other mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. your head, right? Um, and they they were on to him for a couple of years. Would you please come out here? And then finally he did, and he was welcomed. Do you have another picture there? He was I welcomed do. Because he wound up working, boy, tiny. He wound up working with these guys, Ron Moore, Brandon Braga, and Narain Shankar. Oh, this is a very and adorable photo. I love this. It's this is this is when Jerry Taylor called them the boys. All, <laughs> like Robert Jerry. Daddy Michael Piller and the boys. And um, yeah, they could have used some female voices, I know. Um, but Renee moved from New York, finally got over himself, and then, you know, wound up being going to uh, DS9 and working with that mob, getting to co write, among other things, uh, The Visitor, getting to write Trials and Tribulations and work on the great 30th anniversary show. So. Um, uh, in deep, oh gosh, it's also small. Um, but in Deep Space yeah. Nine, then. Yes, yes, worked Deep Space Nine, yeah. and then you know jumped over when yes, uh, TNG ended, and then went on to create and co-create and uh, EP, co-created the Twenty Two Hundred. He co-created Medium. Uh, he's worked on several shows, back and forth, um, and now he's currently just put out a new show on um, on Hulu that escapes me. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a combination, one of those fantasy and reality shows from the a steampunk, um, uh, uh, Orlando Bloom was the actor. He's going to shoot me because I've gone blank on the name. Somebody in the chat will say. Anyway, the just got really chat will remind us the hive but mind. Most right. But again, it doesn't matter where you are in life or what you're carrying around. Sometimes you, you have no idea what your path is going to be. And yes. sometimes you have two years of the hot show Star Trek writers yelling at you, we will put you to work if you would just move. You can do so much more if you're here with us and not, you know, yeah. doing script by facts. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, and you know that's so again one of the one of the and there are all kinds of situ- you know so a lot of the cast and the actors have their stories that are that way too, finding their path and finding their calling and finally settling in. And from this end of the pa- the journey. You go, well, of course, how else could this have come out? But that doesn't. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely, Larry. Like, things, things make so much more sense in retrospect, but that's, that's what our minds do so well. Our minds are able to find the story and the, the linear path. And when you, when you really look at it, a lot of the things that brought us to where we are right now, it's not linear. It's, it's messy. And speaking of finding your way here, uh, we want to welcome Maureen, um, who said, wow, a Star Trek based group therapy slash writers room meeting. How cool. Um, and Scott said, that's, 
That's pretty much us. Yeah, welcome, Maureen. I'm happy to have you here. Um, Maureen also mentioned that uh, that she went to a writer's session with Ron Moore at a convention, and um, the others were there, and everyone is generous. Um, I think the writers have been really wonderful to the fandom. Can I say one more thing, though, about Renee? Yeah, uh, he is such a good guy. He's been very good. Uh, he, we were, we not bonded, bonded, but we've had a good relationship since then. A lot of the people I worked with on Next Gen and the, and the Berman shows and did my books out of. But uh, if you want to hear some of Renee talk about these kinds of things, we, he was a guest on the Trek Files, my podcast mm. from Roddenberry Network, several times, and he was an open house guest, which is my big event every year free on uh, Portal Forty Seven. And I just want to remind everybody Speaking that of, if what I was just mentioning is cool, sounds good. If you want to get behind the scenes, I'm running my little weekend special this weekend again. I do this once or twice a month. If you want to come in during Corona time and not sign up for a whole year, but just a little three-month sample, three months for the price of two, a three-for-two sample, just go to LarryNimitschek.com and jump in, and uh, we will get you fixed up, and you can come deep dive. with. Uh, we've got some portales on today, and... You, too, can find yourself as one of those Star Trek fans who had no idea how much Star Trek you had no idea about. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, if you spend any time with Dr. Trek over <laughs> here, um, that will be you, because you'll realize there's so much that you didn't know. Uh, Larry, uh, we, have a, uh, we have an answer for you. It's Carnival Row. Thank uh, you. Robert says it's, it's Carnival Row. Thank you for that, Robert. I keep, uh, a, I keep wanting to say Cannery Row. Which oh is, yeah, well of course as a Californian you want to say that. Um which I'm is a Californian, yeah. <laughs> Can we um, know right up where the real life uh aquarium is now that was in Star Trek Four in Monterey. And I yes. get it all in my yes. head. Yeah. Let's let's jump into the away mission. Um uh, this yes. is the part of the show where I give you a task that you can you can do to to apply what we're talking about um, to your own life. And today's is it's probably one of the easiest that I have in terms of um, in, in terms of something to do. And um, before before I share what it is, I've got a new question for our um, our lifers here. Let us know in the comments section what Star Trek position would match your strengths. What role in the Star Trek universe matches your strengths? Who you are, the things that you love to do, the things that invigorate you. I, I can't wait to hear um, to hear the answers. And Larry, I want to hear yours as well. Uh, where what would be your position? So. Put on, uh, put in that thinking cap, I guess. Um, so the, the way to apply this is, is very easy for this week. And um, I'll make it fast because I want to, um, open up those hailing frequencies. Um, so there's been an effort by, um, psychologists to create a universal classification of character strengths. Um, are there certain strengths that exist across cultures? And the researchers who have been looking at this have identified 24 strengths that do appear to be um, to exist in um, globally. Um, they created an inventory, which you can take for free. Um, the reason it's free is it contributes to their ongoing research about strengths and where they're located and, and how they're distributed among the global population. But it is free and it's legitimately created with, uh, with good folks backing it. It's called the values, um, 
the VIA strength, uh, character strengths inventory. And if you go to www.viacharacter.org, uh, that's viacharacter.org, um, that will you get you. put that in the chat, Dr. Ali, after we're done. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will put that in the chat. And, um, if you, if you go there, um, you, it's about, um, it'll take about five minutes or so. And the inventory will reveal what your character strengths are. These are the things that invigorate you. When you approach a task with those strengths in mind, you'll probably do better at it. Um, I really love this inventory. There's uh, a few different categories of strengths. Um, there's wisdom strengths, courage strengths, humanity strengths, justice strengths, temperance strengths, and transcendence strengths. So um, check that out. I think... Um, I think you all will really like it. Um, when I got my results, uh, it was it, it was in some ways eye opening and in some ways very validating. So um, check that out. And while um, while I mentioned that, I've got a new project I want to share with the audience, Larry. Um, a new project that's coming out on Monday. Um, and if you are someone who is interested in in strengths in things that might help us through these tough times, then um, I've been working on a series uh, secretly for a couple of months now with PBS. It's called um, Self-Evident. Uh, it's a series that really looks at what does it mean to be an American right now. Um, it's going to be awesome. It comes out on Monday. And um, I want to, can I share the trailer, Larry? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Peek? We don't have time. Uh, <laughs> All let me mess with the time continuum. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to roll back uh give us a little bit more time. So, hope you enjoy the sneak peek at yeah. self-evident. Here we go. You could say 2020 was interrupted. But life goes on. This is your story. You fell in love. Marched in the streets. You shared a drink. You changed the melody. You made new friends. Hey, Dave. And you covered new ground. You tried. Yeah. You failed. Everything feels like a lot right now. And you tried again. Breathe in. Two. Three. You're still telling your story. Black lives do matter. In a year of uncertainty, your perseverance <laughs> is something we can count on. It's self-evident. Subscribe to PBS Voices for self-evident and other great shows. So I hope you enjoyed uh, that little uh, sneak peek here. And um, what's, what's thrust is what then? Uh, yeah, it, well, it's funny because I, I muted Larry and I while we were watching this, and uh, Larry said, um, "Larry said I don't hear any of it." Um, so sorry about that, Larry. What have you go. done? I know okay. what have I done? Are you, um, only, are you the only talking head for that? Is that no? A it's me. Um, yeah, it's a series, ten episodes. We're gonna be um, we're coming out on Monday. So if you go to uh, youtube.com slash PBS voices. You'll be able to see self evident there. It comes out on Monday. There's, uh, two of us hosting. I'm the psychologist. Um, my co-host is Danielle. She's a historian. 
Larry. Um, she's a professor Sorry, of history. Three, three initials after her name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not my kind of Star Trek history knowledge, but like real history knowledge. So um, 10 episodes. Each episode is going to be a different theme. And our first episode is going to be about um, what does it mean to be a 10-year-old right now um, in this world? Uh, mm. So I hope you all like it. Please go check it out. Um, if you like it and support it, we might get a season two. So, um, so check that out. Is so, there a website? Is there a Facebook page? Is there any social media support to it? Um, PBS Digital PBS Digital Studios would be the main social media that's going to be promoting it. Um, but the best way to promote it is just go to youtube.com slash PBS Voices and subscribe to that channel. And you'll, but it's you'll airing see. on PBS stations. It's not a YouTube production. It's going to be on YouTube, so it's free. Everyone across the world will be able okay. to see it. Yeah. But is, is it airing on, on PBS Air? I don't know if PBS is airing it locally. I think that's yet to be determined. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So with that, folks, let's open up those hailing so frequencies. trying to catch up with the... I've been seeing, I'm going to apologize to everybody. I have been seeing so much commentary. I've caught a couple. I'm behind. We've had so many examples thrown out. But uh, this is really resonating. I think most of our topics yeah. do. But I've seen yeah. some faces and some new names. And I'm hearing, I'm seeing all kinds of um, resonating here. <laughs> uh, yeah. I. I love people's, uh, the answers we're getting to what role would you have? Um, Robert says security. Um, uh, LP Norman says, well, I was named after Nimoy, so science officer. Um, Zahir says ambassador. Um, Scott says the acting teacher, theater director, hobby of a chief medical officer for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Glenn says engineering tech with a specialty in computers. I definitely see that for you, Glenn, uh, based on what we know. Um, Libby says probably someone's assistant or um, antiques and uniques uh, pickers where I could then flip it to some <laughs> Ferengi merchant at a profit. <laughs> uh, Triangulum says I think my skill set would be perfect for turbo lift control yeah. officer. <laughs> Um, Zahir says, I'd be a great security officer because I have trust issues. Uh, Clayton, commander of an outpost on the edge of nowhere. I function very well with a small group, not a huge ship's crew. I love that. Um, uh, an outpost 47. From, uh, yes, yes, way yeah, out yeah, there. Um, where three people are in the station, yeah. Libby, as our merchant, says I'd probably do well on Deep Space Nine. Um Zaheer says, I'd be a great first officer of a galaxy or ambassador class ship with my strong type B tendencies. <laughs> and that carpeting would be, would be great. A great place to, for a type B personality. Um, yeah, we're getting so many great responses here. Um, so I, I love that. Um, oh, and, and thank you all for the support of the show. Um, Maureen says she's, uh, very cool. I'll check it out. Um, Robert says, bravo, Dr. Ali. Um, thanks, folks, for supporting that. Um, hope you enjoy that series. And Jared, you were asking last week, when are we going to get another Psych Show episode? Now you know why I haven't been doing many Psych Show episodes. I've been filming this You've series. You've been lucky that he's done Life Support Live episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's true sometimes. We literally texted for 10 minutes this episode. <laughs> yeah. Got all this goodness. 
<laughs> it's it's been a wild ride. Larry, what what would be your place in Starfleet? Or or not even in Starfleet in that 20th, 4th century future, 23rd or 24th century future. What's your well, place? You know, what's funny to me is, and I didn't even realize at the time, but until, like, we took the ACT, not the SATs. And it, and when I was 18, this famous 18 time. And there was a, there was a career, what, that, that test, that values test you were talking about? Yes. Something akin to that was a career, yes. you know, interest inventory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As part of the ACT. And I took it, and it was all over the place. And I was kind of shocked, because I'd never thought in these terms before, but it was the first time. Basically, because all I could think about was, like I said, teaching this or that or whatever. And I didn't see myself leaving the Midwest for any, like, oh, L.A. or New York. What? If? And for the first time, the overwhelming thing that came back said communication. Hmm. Communicator. And I had done, like, I had, I had done, I enjoyed our high school play. I was editor of our high school paper. I didn't think of them as, but this basically it coalesced as, as a communicator which means like taking facts and synthesizing them and getting them to people or helping people communicate or helping people, you know, reach each other. But I had never stopped to think about reporter, you know, and now even beyond that reporter, interviewer, host, fact synthesizer, you know, and then do it on paper with lead time. And then maybe even, oh my God, do it on the run live with people and people that when there's a lot at stake and you're trying to, Anyway, I had never had that coalesce until I saw the dorky little career interest assessment. And I went, oh, communication and interpretation. Hmm. So, I don't, you know, I guess ideally that would, uh, you know, they have historians in Starfleet. Whalen yes. Yes. was a ship's historian, a literature historian even. So, I don't know, be that or something in the Federation where it's, uh, you know, the, the Dominion. Or the Romulans might say it was Federation propaganda, but <laughs> something, something in that where it's, uh, yeah, communicate. And with, if it's within Starfleet, um, something like that. Well, I that guess. can be within Starfleet. I could see you definitely serving um, in the academy or at Starfleet headquarters in the archives. You would be. You know, they had a, they have a, they have a newspaper and they have a yearbook at Starfleet Academy. I think I it was Harry Kim was on the newspaper staff. So hopefully I I'll be better than Harry Kim. But um. <laughs> I can see you there. Um, I mean, the obvious parallel for me would be a ship's counselor. But um, I don't know. I think I'd have a lot more fun in the diplomatic corps. I think trying to um, yeah. maybe not first contact. But yeah, I think second contact, uh, third or fourth, fourth contact. I think part of the team that is establishing longer term relations with, uh, new worlds, new cultures, um, being a part of that team that's transitioning new member planets to, uh, Federation, um, citizens and how does that work? How do you deal with all of the, change that comes with just joining the federation that would be really exciting and interesting i think it would make it hard to have a family because you're constantly being sent to different places so i don't quite like that part so maybe i do that for a few years and then i can just work for the federation council 
or something in some way. Um, I think that would be a ton of fun. I'd love working with all the different species um, and making those Federation Council meetings run run well. I think that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. Again, guys, I'm apologizing um, because I'm so far behind on this chat, and this chat is so amazing this week. It feels like we really um, touched a curve, uh, touched a curve, touched a, uh, a nerve, struck a chord, touched a nerve, or just you know. That would be the fourth Doctor Trekism, I think. Uh, we're, we're on a roll here today, Larry. <laughs> oh, you have, you, have a, you have a funny Sean. definition of role. Sean, thank yeah. you for for sharing the um, the news release for self evident. Um, uh, I appreciate that. Um, and um, Sean also says that uh, he would be a science officer. So, uh, science you can do a lot with a science officer. You can do basic research. You can do applied research. You can be working on a ship. You can be working on a star base. Um, you can make a Genesis device. There's so many things that you can do. You can be enlisted. But also not enlisted um, and pursue science. There's there's a lot of pathways there. Get those cool civilian science, you know, token outfits. <laughs> Wear a jumpsuit. Wear the token jumpsuit. Oh man, the Star Trek jumpsuits. Oh my gosh, um, that's one thing I'm really happy about with with New Trek. Whether it's Kelvin timeline, Star Trek Discovery, or Star Trek Picard, our civilians look like real people now and not. Like, I don't know, the jumpsuit. fabric models? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People actually look like they would be civilians. I, I appreciate that. Well, Enterprise did that too. Civilians look good in Enterprise. They looked like, uh, like, like actual civilians. Don't you, don't you go hating on Bill Tice civilians now, don't you? <laughs> Early, yeah. Early Bob Blackman, there. Don't you do that? Um, <laughs> I love, I love all of his work for the uniforms. The uniforms are wonderful, but it's so hard. Uh, this is um, the creators of um, of Back to the Future talk about this. That they, you know, they uh, the ending to Back to the Future one was a bit of a joke. They never thought there was going to be a sequel, so they're like, "Yeah, send them to the future." And then um, when a sequel was greenlit, they're like, "Oh gosh, now we have to make a future." No one wants to make a future because you're always going to get it wrong. And boy, did they get it wrong in nearly every way. A fax machine in every, in every room. Shiny metallic everything. And everybody. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can, um, receive your faxes, faxes, you know, in the middle of the street. Um, uh, flying cars, you know, the holographic movies, Jaws 19. Um, so many things they got wrong. Hoverboards. Um, well, Jaws got within a couple. Oh, it felt like. Yeah. Was there anything they really nailed in Back to the Future 2? Maybe. Well, hoverboards or, or whatever, but hoverboards are, are. People have tried to do hoverboards. Yeah, and they're so not cool. Um, no, but I, I think yeah. the screens, like the big, big TV screens, FaceTime, they sort of did the video calls, but a lot of people did video calls. Um, we certainly don't have a Mr. Fusion device. Right, right, wrong, wrong genre. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, I say Star Trek did view screens. That's we've all been Star doing. Trek did I, view screens, right, I right. I did a newsletter for my Trekland list this week, and I said, you know, hey, we've all been living our Star Trek summer here. We've all been living on boxes, on screens. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Jared is mentioning, uh, I would, I, would, I expect to see Ali in a scant uniform at the Life Support Live Retreat. Hey, I'd support a, uh, and, I'd wear the skank. I, I'm, and, I'm very pro skank. And, and Jared, when is our next Life Support Live Retreat? And where? Which? I forget if it's a, I forget if it's a Denny's or an IHOP. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or a Radisson in, um, Jared is our unofficial organizer of the 2022 uh-huh. Life Support Live Retreat. Uh, so thank you for organizing, Jared. Um, oh gosh. Um, Maureen says my neighbor, uh, m- my upstairs neighbor kids have hoverboards. You know, they got banned in New York City, Larry, uh, because they had these, uh, some of them had these exploding batteries. <laughs> and so New York City just banned them. Oh, you mean the hoverboard. I thought you meant yeah. screenings of Back to the Future Part 2. Okay. Oh, no, no. Yeah, um, and Scott is right. Um, I do have... Um, I mentioned this that the week you disappeared a little bit, Larry. I have. I forgot for a second that I have this right over here. I have my hoverboard. Oh, you can tell it's Metellus. Well, Yeah, it is. There you go. Hey, nicely done. Well, I'm not exactly doing Maddie Mattel. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. <laughs> Somebody... Um, I, I'm going to apologize here. I just caught somebody was talking about, you can remember the Vietnam vets coming back. They hated their M16s because they jammed all the time yeah. their rifles. Yeah. And the, the time in the 60s where they say, you can t- they gripe and say, you can tell it's metallic swell. <laughs> um, Jared says, Life Support Live Retreat, YMCA, Billings, Montana. Jared, if we're having a life support meeting, in Montana, it's not in Billings, Montana. There's only one place where... Well, there's a tour. We'll get on a bus and go over to Bozeman. Yes. And we'll yes. all see We'll all see the statue. The yeah. Zephram Cogham reaching into yeah. the sky. Yeah. <sighs> they made a statue of me? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and you're standing... Right at the look. I wish I had a picture of this. <laughs> I love that scene. Oh, I just love Star Trek first, first contact. contact. If you made ten years later, you know, you would have had uh, a a Starfleet padized version. Everybody's yeah like, selfie. selfie. Yeah, can I take a selfie with you, Mister Cochran? Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nimichek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>